that when God is working soteriologically, that is, when God is working to save us, he is working in weakness. He is, he is working in resistibility. In fact, the very essence of our salvation is the humility of Jesus on the cross so that he can die on the cross, uh, so that he can shed his blood, so that he can be beaten and bruised and all of this. So that when God is doing his salvific work, he is doing it in a manner that is weak. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and his promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Welcome to Table Talk Radio. I'm Emmett Gigline, and I'm here with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller for the Holy Week edition of Table Talk Radio. Hello, Evan. Well, are you ready for uh, another edition? I was of... waiting for that introduction. Uh, Pastor Brian oh, did, Wolfmuller. Don't you remember our, our, our band broke down last time we did that. <laughs> <laughs> They're still recuperating. Oh, boy. Well, we've got a great show in store. We're going to start out by talking about uh, our listener uh, comments and questions via our email address at questions at tabletalkradio.org and our forum located on our website, tabletalkradio.org. And then we're playing Bible B and ending up with contemporary or traditional. Those are my favorite games. Go figure. I, oh, we these emails are from my favorite listeners too. <laughs> so, evidently, if you want to be one of uh, Pastor Wolfmuller's favorite listeners, all you have to do is write in. Right. Okay. That's well, right. Let's get rolling on this. Um, the first one. Do you remember when we talked uh, several weeks ago about the listener who wrote in about uh, putting the confessions in the pews? Yes. Well, we have a another a post that says this. I often use the new. Lutheran service book in my adult Sunday school class is a quick reference to the small catechism. People are usually surprised that the hymnal includes the catechism or the lectionary or the psalms or prayers. While I doubt I could convince our worship committee to get copies of the Book of Concord for the pews due to space and money considerations, I'm sure Pastor would be happy to point out the small small catechism that's already in the hymnal uh, when he brings up catechism questions and teaching in the service. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's good. Uh, it's it's wonderful that our hymnals have the uh, uh, have the small catechism in there. A bunch of the old Lutheran hymnals had the Augsburg Confession in the front of them as well. Oh, nice. Uh, so, so that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, we have the new the new hymnal does have the small catechism in there. The church where I did my field work taped a little copy of the small catechism into the front of their TLHs, uh, so they would be there for everybody. Uh, and it's good to know that they're there. In fact, I was visiting with some pastors the other day, and they were suggesting that for their instruction class, adult instruction class, they were just going to get uh, a hymnal and use the hymnal and teach out of the small catechism, which is there, and then uh, branch off from there into the liturgies and the and the psalms, and I, that's a good idea, too. Uh, also, though, the, you know, the CPH publishes a copy of this ESV Bible, uh, and they have the uh, the small catechism in there with the morning and evening prayers, and so you could do it uh, with the Bible that way as well. So, no, it's good that we have the small catechism uh, that we have it everywhere. That's good. Uh, more yeah. and more. 
And he, he ends up saying, uh, with that being said, I'll ask our resource room person to think about getting a couple copies of the mini Book of Concord for our sales table. Well, I love my reader's edition. It has the heft to be an uh, intimidating book. The smaller version might be more friendly-seeming. Yeah, I still don't have one of those, but we talked before the show. You're going to send me one. That'll be great to to see this paperback edition of the Book of Concord, and that's fan- that's fantastic. You know, when uh, when I went to Madagascar, we brought one of these uh, little versions of the Book of Concord to everyone, and uh, you know, they all cheered when they announced they were all going to get one. But the uh, the the um, the president of the seminary was talking about how you could tuck this under your arm while you're riding your bike, and uh, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do is carry mine under my arm all the time. Yeah, that's right. You should sleep sleep with it under your pillow. Does that help? Does it seem seep into your brain if you if you do that? Oh yeah, I think so. Okay, good. Well, the next uh, forum post. Uh, do you remember when we were talking about that bumper sticker? Is that something like uh, uh, libertarian Christian Jesus didn't die for the state? Yes, I think I remember that. Okay, well, you have a forum post that says, Pastor Wolfman, there's something I thought of when listening to Bumper Sticker Theology. The Christian libertarian thing might be talking about just the federal government. In other words, stating Washington should strictly follow the Constitution as mandated in the Tenth Amendment. Could be, maybe not. Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, this is the essential libertarian cause, is that, look, we've departed from the Constitution, we've overstated the... um, uh, the, the the federal government has stepped way beyond the bounds that the Constitution puts on it, and the libertarians are saying, hey, halt. Um, and perhaps then what they're fighting against is the fact that, um, that both major parties, Republicans and Democrats, have used religion as a as a way to expand government. In other words, hey, we ought to care for each other, so who's going to do it? Well, the government. And so you have all of these uh, social wel- welfare programs, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that aren't anywhere mandated in the Constitution, but are put in there because we're trying to make the government into a, kind of a pseudo-religious uh, institution. And this bumper sticker is saying, look, that's not what it is. Jesus didn't die for the state. And I think that's probably true. So uh, thanks for that insight there on the forum. Uh, uh, 200 points to you. <laughs> All right. And then another one. Uh, let's see, what were we talking about when this came up? Oh, I remember we were talking about Islam. I think you were reading a sermon from uh, from uh, uh, Imam Muhammad. There you go. Thank you. It says Pastor Wolfmiller commented that Islam is not an independent world religion, but a Christian heresy. I've never heard this perspective before, but it makes sense. There is only one God, the Triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So really, there is only one religion. Well, actually, two. Those who by faith receive the gifts God promises, Christians and believers, and those who reject God, non-Christians and unbelievers. With this understanding, all the non-Christian world religions deny God-revealed Savior and are, therefore, rightly labeled heretical. This perspective is important when we evangelize. What we have to offer the world, read world religions, is the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins, that because of him we have restored relationship with God. What matters is not our commonalities, for there may be much with which we agree. What matters most is the... uh, is our area of disagreement, namely Christ, who he is. Don't, don't worry, nobody's listening. The Son of God <laughs> and what he did, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve, and rose again to life. So, what do I you think th- that's a brilliant point, yes. And here, so first of all, then if we realize that most of the major, quote, world religions are Christian heresies, then, then it, now it gets to the essential point, which is law and or gospel. That's the question we always want to be 
we always want to bring forth in these discussions. But I mean, so to understand Islam as a Christian heresy, to understand even now, are you to understand even Judaism as a Christian heresy that started when the Pharisees rejected Jesus? I mean, that's the beginning of modern Judaism. Uh, that it, uh, that it was it branched off the true worship of the triune God and by denying Jesus then stopped worshiping the triune God. If we understand things this way, then we ha- we do have a clarity when it comes to what we say to people who are of other religions, uh, and and namely that is that there are two religions of the world: the religion of here, let's say it a little bit differently, like this: there's the religion of God who is served by man. That's every other religion. And then there is the religion of man who is served by God, and that's Christianity. That's what Jesus says. Remember, I did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Or in the upper room, the night when he's betrayed, Jesus says, who's greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Isn't, isn't it the one that sits at the table? And yet I'm among you as the one who serves. So that Christianity is about being served by God, namely being served the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, which flows from that. And when we understand that, that these are really the only two religions in all of the world, and this is the uniqueness of Christianity, is that it is a God, it is the religion of God who comes down to serve us and take care of us. Then, uh, then when we come to speak to our Jewish or Islamic neighbors or, or whoever, we have this marvelous clarity. Uh, about what what is the difference between our religions and what it is that the Lord Jesus would have them know. What, what I like about Michael's post is when he start talk, starts talking about evangelism. Um, it doesn't matter what we agree on. It, what it matters is what we disagree on. So, you know, I'm not going to walk up and say, and I, I don't know, I think this is true of, of Islam. You would know, Pastor. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't they also believe in a, a literal six-day creation? The Muslims? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't do us any good to like, hey, yeah, you know, let's 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 talk about the six day creation. What matters is that not what we agree on, what we disagree on, namely Christ, as Michael pointed out. Okay, we have a minute. Let me I'll tell you what. I'll read this post. We'll go to break, and then we'll talk about that before we go into Bible B on the other side of this break. Um, and this is kind of a continuing conversation, but this one uh, says everyone holds to a limited atonement except for the Universalists, who said that everyone will be saved. Is it not then highly misleading to say Calvinists are mean and horrible for saying that the atonement is limited to the elect, since Calvinists and Lutherans both say that only the elect will be saved? That's the post that we're going to be talking about right after this break. Then we're going to be getting into Bible B, and then later on, a contemporary or a traditional. You can post your comments about our program on our website, tabletalkradio.org. There's a forum link. Post your your uh, comment in the appropriate uh, show episode. Or you can call us, 866-851-5523. As always, you can send us an email as well, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Right back, right after this commercial break. No online petition necessary. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Do you like baptism? Because I know I do. If you do, you're really going to love this lay theological conference on Saturday, April 25th uh, at Eternal Savior Lutheran Church in Lafayette, Colorado. They've asked me to be the speaker this year, and I'll be spending all day talking about baptism. What is it? What gifts does it bring? Is it law and or gospel? Why does everyone disagree with the Lutherans? And uh, what does baptism have to do with evangelism? These questions and more. So please join us again, Eternal Savior Lutheran Church, Lafayette, Colorado, April 25th. See you then. 
everyone holds to a limited atonement except for the universalists who say that everyone will be saved. Is it not then highly misleading to say Calvinists are mean and horrible for saying that the atonement is limited to the elect? Since both Calvinists and Lutherans say that only the elect will be saved. That's a post we got in our forum at tabletalkradio.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Pastor, what do you think about this? Is it is it misleading and and uh, to say that Calvinists are mean and horrible for saying that only the atonement is for the elect? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think this is a, an important point for Calvinists. They they do have to defend themselves for their teaching of the limited atonement. Uh, and to try to drag us along with them is a pretty good strategy, but it just doesn't work. I mean, it's not true. It's not true that everyone believes in a limited atonement um, except for the universalists. There's a distinction made uh, in the scriptures and in, for example, Lutheran theology between the atonement uh, and justification. So justification is the salvific work of God brought to the individual sinner. But really, while the Calvinists teach that, look, uh, God chose those whom he would die for, he died for them, and then he brings them to glory, uh, and and there's no... uh, So it's all the same people all the way through. Um, The difficulty, though, is the Scriptures, really. I mean, the Scriptures that constantly put forth Christ as the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, so that the death of Jesus is the taking away of the sin of the world. That's the universal atonement. Um, But you see, Calvinists, because of their... Oh boy, we'll get some responses on this one on the forum, I'm sure. These Calvinists are busy on the internet. Um, (laughs) the, the, The Calvinist, though, then has to have this kind of logical thing that says, look, God's will must happen, and we know that in the end, um, it's the elect that are saved and the not elect that aren't. So it must be that God follows all the way through, dying just for the elect uh, and not for the not elect, because it does not make sense for him to die for those whom he does not finally save. It just doesn't It doesn't compute. Uh, but, but this is, I think, kind of brings us to the essential difference between Lutherans and, Calvin, and Calvinists, and that is that when God is working soteriologically, that is, when God is working to save us, he is working in weakness. He is, he is working in resistibility. In fact, the very essence of our salvation is the humility of Jesus on the cross so that he can die on the cross, uh, so that he can shed his blood, so that he can be beaten and bruised and all of this. So that when God is doing his salvific work, he is doing it in a manner that is weak. And that continues even today when he brings his word to us through preaching or through, uh, uh, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, where the promise of forgiveness is there. He's doing it in a manner that is essentially rejectable. So the, so the Calvinists have this doctrine of irresistible grace, uh, the Bible teaches the opposite, that any time God is working according to his grace, he is precisely working in a manner that is resistible. Uh, and so, so, so really that's an essential difference between the Lutherans and the Calvinists. So uh, the Calvinists, because God's grace is irresistible, because his election is, um, goes both to the salvation and damnation, then the atonement must be only for those whom God elect, elected to save. Um, and that's and that's all you uh, and that's all that that's all that they can say because the, they're being lo- locked into this irresistible grace. Now let let me ask you this though because uh, you know we would say that you know uh, 
the the sin that that condemns is disbelief, and then they would come back and say, "Wait, look, if Christ died on the cross for all sins, doesn't include the sin of disbelief." How do you respond? Uh, yeah, that's isn't that something? It, it is faith that that brings the forgiveness for lack of faith. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what you what you want to do with that. Uh, it, the the question kind of strikes me as. Um, um, as one of these building a rock too big to lift kind of questions. But, uh, but I mean, maybe there's something there. The first commandment commands that we have no other gods before the one true God, that we fear, love, and trust in God above all things. But it's precisely in keeping that commandment, in other words, in having faith created by the Holy Spirit through the Word, that we keep both that commandment and every other commandment as well. So, so did Jesus die for the sin of unbelief? Well, yes, but it's precisely unbelief which prevents us from grasping onto or obtaining that very forgiveness uh, that he died for. All right. Well, you ready to play some is Bible that, B? Is that, is, that, is that totally muddy? As clear I can't as tell if it's a, I think tell if it's a Sudafed talking or or or, uh, or what. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pastor Wolfman has been sickening the dog this week. We're lucky to have him on Table Talk Radio. Well, yeah, we were we were we were uh, getting ready to call one of these substitute hosts, but it turns out no one wanted to do it with me. <laughs> You're always looking out for the sub. <laughs> I know. Everyone's, all the other pastors are busy washing their hair, though. I know. Oh, you sorry, know, can't come on the show. A couple of weeks ago, we had Pastor Dean Moseman, and he was so much nicer than you. I want to get him back on. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right. Well, we should do it. I got some uh, Bible B. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, so the way Bible B works is we have three rounds. Is that true? Yep. Round one is three verses. Round two is one verse. Round three is one word. And each round is worth 100, then 200, then 300 points. And you have to guess the the book of the Bible from which the verse comes. So gather around the children, and uh, let's play a little Bible bee. Let's play a little Bible bee. All right. And I actually made it harder for you. <laughs> Round one, you have two verses. That's all right. I'm up to the challenge. All right. I'll give you an extra 50 points if you get it. All right. Thank you. Okay. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you... I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. This very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you. Oh, boy. Um, So you have the promise of restoration. Read just the first sentence again. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you. So we have the Lord speaking, the blood of my covenant with you, restored double. We have the Lord's promise of faithfulness against the unfaithfulness of his people. Uh, This sounds prophetic. The Lord speaking directly through the prophet to the people. Promising restoration. Um, The big prophet of restoration, well, one of the big prophets of restoration is, uh, is Jeremiah who um, was was part of the, he was a prophet of the diaspora, and then, so then he also was, uh, has all the promises of the Lord bringing his people back. And it was actually Jeremiah that Daniel was reading when he realized God was about to take him back to, to, to Jerusalem. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. 
Uh, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. You're looking for Zechariah 9, 11, and 12. Well, there you go. And this is actually the uh, Old Testament lesson for uh, this Sunday in uh, the one-year lectionary. Tis, huh? Well, there it is. Yeah, that's true. Palm Sunday. So then you have... Did you did it say stuff about riding on a donkey, a colt full of a donkey? And and did I miss that because you were cutting out and now I'm terribly embarrassed? Did it say, uh, is this the... Pro- oh, man, that's pretty bad. That's up at, at verse 9. I Yeah, I cut that out because I thought that just totally gave oh, it away. Okay. So, yeah, okay. you're right. I read verses 11 and 12, which is why I only gave you two verses. So this is the this is where um, the promise of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on donkeys come from as well, uh, right there in the prophet Zechariah. And Matthew, well, all the uh, Gospels um, quote this text from Zechariah and uh, showing that Jesus' entry, triumphal entry into Jerusalem is a fulfillment of that of that very thing. The amazing thing about the triumphal entry is just it's just that it's not that triumphant, you know? I mean, it's just a couple of donkeys. I was reading this uh, this account of um, the entrance of a Babylonian king, Xerxes or something, into Babylon, and it was talking about how he, his, his train was like three miles long, and he had all these cages with leopards and lions, and, and he had bands and, and all of his... Um, and all of his conquered armies would go before him, and then his army, and he's on this big thing on elephants and stuff like that. This is kind of a, how a triumphal entry is supposed to look. And here comes along Jesus with a couple of donkeys and jackets that his disciples threw on the ground. Uh, it, it really kind of shows the humility of our Lord, which is exactly the point of the text, too. See, your king comes to you lowly, humbly, and riding on a donkey. Very good. What a beautiful text, and what a beautiful Sunday Palm Sunday is. That's right. And uh, what a zero, or what a wonderful number of points that you have. <laughs> oh, boy. True. Oh, man. Okay. All right. We have about you ready a, for yours? Yeah, we have about a minute here. Okay, here it is. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That's it, huh? Okay, well... I'll offer my guess on this side of the break, and then we'll talk about it when we come back from this commercial break. I'm not entirely sure here, but it's talking about the sacrifice of the uh, the Old Testament of the bull, and then connecting that with with um, the uh, sacrifice of Christ for the atonement of all sin. And this is kind of a theme that's found in Hebrews. So is it Hebrews? Tis. All right. Well, yes, I guessed it. it. So, 200 points then? Yes, 200 points. All hey, right. Congratulations. Well, let's talk more about that Hebrews passage after this break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Table Talk Radio. Where is means is, and finished means finished. Hello, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I'm planning a symposium on Islam to be held at Peace with Christ Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. We have three speakers, 
Adam Francisco from the Fort Wayne Seminary, Dr. Stephen Hine from Colorado Springs, and Deacon Shaquille Nazami from Pakistan to be talking about the history, theology uh, of Islam, and how we can reach out to our Islamic neighbors. The cost is $10, 20 max per family, again Saturday, May 16th, at Peace with Christ Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information, send me an email at pastor at hope-aurora.org. Hope to see you there. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That is Hebrews 9, verses uh, 13 to 15. And that is the text which awarded me 200 points. The radio clown is on the board. <laughs> oh, 100 points. I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. Take 200. <laughs> now you make me feel bad. <laughs> no, look. We're generous here. Generous. Uh, okay. Like our okay. listeners. Generous. Gospel points. Gospel points. Okay. <laughs> well, isn't that great, though? That we, uh, you know, in, that, uh, in that text, we... Uh, we see that connection between the, the uh, atonement sacrifice of the Old Testament. And then then in the New Testament, we have Christ who was uh, sacrificed on the cross for all of our sin once and for all. Uh, so that all, all sin is forgiven and um, all punishment and wrath of God was, was uh, taken upon the cross uh, in our stead. Yes, we have a bloody religion. Uh, covered uh, with the blood of Jesus, which is the atoning sacrifice. As it says here, that he, he is death, by his death and bloodshedding, he has redeemed us from the transgressions committed under the first, com- under the first covenant. So, so, you know, you have in Hebrews all, all the time, too, this discussion of the two testaments, the two covenants, and you got the old and the new. It's in the new, then, that, that the Lord brings this perfection by the blood of the perfect lamb, Jesus, without blemish or spot or wrinkle. He stands as the perfect sacrifice, and his standing in his death and standing before God with his blood is what makes our way to heaven. Marvelous. All right, let's see if you can get some points now. Doubtful. <laughs> All right, again, this it would totally give you give it away if I gave you the whole verse. I'm going to give you half of the verse, and if you can't give it, I'll, I'll give you the rest of the verse. All right. <laughs> Okay, here it is. And he said, what are you willing to give me? Oh, man. All right. Uh, And he said, what are you willing to give me? Uh, This reminds me of the story of of Jacob and Esau, uh, where Esau comes in hungry. "Give uh, Give me some of that stew, he says. What are you willing to give me, says Jacob back to him. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I want to think about it for a little bit. I don't want to be too hasty. I don't want to uh, jump the gun here and miss something obvious. I, it doesn't sound like a New Testament. It'd be If it was a New Testament, it would be in the Gospels because it's a narrative kind of text. Or Gospels or Acts, what can you give me? But, in, for example, in Acts, you get people get in trouble for asking things like that because he wants the Holy Spirit to buy the Holy Spirit, Simon the Magician. 
Um, it could be in one of the narrative parts of the prophets, but I can't can't think of where that would be. So I'm going to say back at Jacob and Esau with uh, the book of Genesis. That is incorrect, but I'll give you uh, the rest of this quote. And this is just going to give it away. All right. And he said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? Oh, there you go. Judas. Yeah. The betray. The betray. Okay, now you have to figure out which book of the Bible it's in. Um, the, the 30 pieces of silver business is a big theme in Matthew because he... Uh, it, it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and and Matthew, of course, loves that. Matthew has uh, Matthew and Romans are just about uh, tied, I think, for the number of Old Testament passages quoted in the New Testament book. Matthew, I think, wins though. He's so many passages, so he does kind of bring out a little bit more of the details of of uh, Judas's betrayal, so that he can point out that fulfillment. So that would be my uh, immediate guess, would be the Gospel of Matthew. Correct, it is. Hey! So you get 200 points, and this is the, uh, pull up my form here. Okay, this is the Gospel text for this Sunday, right? Matthew um, Matthew 26? Well, it depends. There's uh, Normally on Palm Sunday, there's two texts read. Uh, you have the Palm Sunday Gospel read, and then also uh, the the Passion from Matthew is often read on uh, on uh, Palm Sunday. So a lot of times you'll have the Gospel of Matthew. Um, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the Palm Sunday Gospel read during a processional, and then the and then the go- uh, the Passion from Saint Matthew read as the Gospel lesson. Uh, and it's a long reading, so people will stay seated. This sort of thing. So yeah, I think that's right. All right. Well, 200 points. Good job. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I've got to make those adjustments for this, <laughs> for, our, <laughs> for our service. Okay, one verse for you. You ready? Ready. Uh, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, I'm, guess- I'm guessing it's one of the Gospels. How am I doing? <laughs> what What gave it away? Wait, <laughs> um, I'm not quite as insightful as you are as narrowing these down. Um, There's a couple of things that uh, that would give this one away. Oh, here, let me give it to you again. Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." Okay, I know one of the things that would would set this off would be the "Truly, truly." Yep. Which I think. Is a common theme in John. I don't know though. Uh, let's see. Is Abraham the other tip off? The other tip off is the last two words before Abraham was, "I am." I am the ego e me. Is that right? Yep. Uh, and well, I I think that is John. So I'm going to go with the Gospel of John. That's right. You got it, and you got the two tip off. The, the, the truly truly is a is a one of the marks of John. Amen, amen. In the other Gospels, Jesus will just give you one truly. Truly, I say to you. And then, of course, John is built around these great I am statements of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door, uh, etc. But here, this is kind of the climactic one. When the soldiers come to arrest Jesus... Oh, oh no, sorry. I got ahead of myself. Uh, One of the climactic I ams... This is from John chapter 8 verse 58, and they take up stones to stone Jesus. Um, Jesus says, 
Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. And they say, hey, you're not even 50 years old yet. Uh, how can you have seen Abraham? And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you that before Abraham was, I am. And so he uses the divine name to describe himself there. And they pick up stones to throw at them. But Jesus hides himself and leaves the temple. So this is really a, one of the clearest statements where our Lord Jesus uh, offers up himself as the divine son of God, takes up the divine name and says, I am. And the people there get it. Anytime you, someone says, well, Jesus never claims to be God, just look for the places where the Pharisees take up the rocks to stone him, and then you'll find that just before that, he called himself God. Aha. That's so you're right. right, by the way, for, I don't know, how many, a thousand points? <laughs> 200 points? <laughs> I'll take a thousand if you're, if you're going to do 200, 200 no, no. points. We want to be careful with our points because we don't want inflation to be a problem. Okay. Right. We want to have responsibility. We want to be good stewards of the points that the Lord gives. <laughs> okay. I've got, a, I've got one word for you. And I'll, as always, I can't ever pick one that's a completely exclusive of the scripture. So if you get one that's close, I'll probably let you have it. All right. And your one word is... Stain, S-T-A-I-N, stain. Stain. Hmm. I'd give you the original language, but then I'd give away which which testament it's in. Right. I'm guessing, though, because you know it, it's Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have a point there. (laughs) So let's see, stain in the New Testament. Um... (laughs) Without spot or you have this idea without spot or blemish, or that's the kind of stain idea to stain a garment without spot, to to take a, so so where does that come without spot or blemish? He's the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. Um, you do have this idea of of robes being bleached and washed from the stain of sin, uh, and that comes in Revelation. I think that's as good as I can do. I'm going to say the Book of Revelation. Ah, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. You were looking for 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 14, which says, um, well, this is right after verse 12, the fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life, which you were called, and you uh, made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Um, 13 and 14 say, I urge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Jesus Christ, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is the epistle for Holy Tuesday. Wow, there you go. Nice. That's pretty good. Okay. Fight the good well, fight. I, you know, one of the things, I'm on this big kick nowadays. Do we have time for a kick or are we running out of time? You have one minute for You have a one-minute kick. All right. Uh, on this kick, this idea that the Lord has, has set us uh, to fight. Uh, that's what you know. He said to Timothy, "There, fight the good fight." He says, like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, so that we, uh, no soldier having, gets entangled in earthly affairs, that, so that he could please the one who enlisted him. It says in Timothy, and, and then Paul will say later, "I've fought the good fight, uh, I finished the race, etc." So that our Christian life is a, is a matter of battle. And you know, what, something has really been impressed upon my mind as I was listening to Dr. Kleinig talk the other day about how when we wake up and we have our morning devotions, he, he calls it our morning briefing. 
And then when we go to bed at night, we de- we go and we debrief with the Lord, who is the chief soldier uh, our, and, our, and our champion who stands before us. But this is just simply a wonderful way to realize that 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 Jesus has us um, in a, in his military, and he is by his word and by the forgiveness of sins. He is overtaking the kingdom of darkness with his kingdom of light. And he has called us to be agents in that battle. We're going to have to take a break right there, but we're right right back for this last uh, round of Bible B, and then we'll hit contemporary or traditional. Don't go away. More Table Talk Radio right after this. Listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. One word left on Bible B before we play contemporary or traditional. Thanks for hanging in with us so far. Yeah, you deserve <laughs> Let's a, go to... a medal, a reward for that. <laughs> if you made it this long, call us at 866-851-5523, and we'll award you some Table Talk Radio points. It's kind of like finishing a marathon. How much longer can this show go on? <laughs> There's people play, placing bets, you know. I bet Susie drops out by the third segment. <laughs> There's no way she'll make it through Bible B. <laughs> Oh, okay, don't worry, that we saved word the best for, for last. Oh, yes, so your last round here is, um, the one-word clue for you is disquieted. Disquieted. Well, this sounds like a, um, a word that would appear in, in a narration. I don't think that um, maybe Paul would write something like that in his, his epistles, but I'm just going to go with, with the narrative talk. And I'm just going to guess the Gospel of Mark. How's that? Well, that's close. It actually comes from the Psalms. <laughs> oh, so I should get points for being so close. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You know, I've got this little small print Bible here, and it's only like a half an inch away. <laughs> All right. What Psalm is it from? Psalm 42, Psalm 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. So there wow, you go. There it is. Disquieted. This is now the soul. This is now the soul disconnected from the from the stream of the Lord's word. And it just shows, I mean, this is really true for all of us is that we become disquieted. We become unpeaceful. It's not how the Lord would have us. He would have us to be quieted, to be at rest, to be at peace. But when we depart from his word or or whatever, then we become disquieted. Our soul becomes disquieted within us. That's right. Okay, let, let, let's play some contemporary or traditional. Uh, let's see. I got some good ones for you today. Are you ready for your first one? How the, how this I guess I always forget to explain the rules. How this game works is we read um, a stanza or two of, of a hymn, and uh, the other person needs to guess: is this contemporary or traditional? The the breaking point there is seventeen fifty, 
And Pastor Wolf Miller, tell us why 1750 is the magical date. Because it's so obnoxious, mostly. Isn't that the reason? But it also is. <laughs> yeah, uh, it also kind of is the mark to, uh, in the middle of the transition from the more objective kind of golden age of Lutheran orthodoxy and hymns to a more subjective romantic kind of feel. Uh, and so you get um, so you, you get hymns before that that are that are romantic and subjective, and you get hymns after it that are objective. Uh, but generally, this, this is kind of a break, uh, a theological or, or musical or historical break to where hymns will have a tendency to be to lean one way versus the other. It also it happens to be the year that Bach died, although we figured that out long before or long after we had set the rules for this contemporary or traditional. But the, the reason why we play this game, really, is is so that we would have a chance to look at a few hymns and pay attention to the words. One of the things is... Um, uh, when we're singing in, in worship and in services, we're, we're singing and we're singing along and we're paying attention to the music and the words, but we're not paying that close attention to, uh, to, to what we're singing. And we want to try to change that with this hymn so that we pay attention to the words and listen to what they're actually saying. So, so with that in mind, here comes the hit game with contemporary or traditional. All right. And I guess some easy ones for you today. If you don't get these, you're not much of a... Um, oh, anyway. The first one is, My shepherd now receive me, my guardian own me thine. Thy great blessing thou didst give me, O source of gifts divine. Thy lips have often fed me with words of truth and love. Thy spirit oft hath led me to heavenly joys above. Yeah? Are you going to stop there? I mean, I can do another stanza. I've almost got the hymn, but I I haven't gotten it yet. Okay. Here I will stand beside thee, from thee I will not part. O Savior, do not chide me, when breaks thy loving heart. When soul and body languish in death's cold, cruel grasp, then in thy deepest anguish, then in mine arm I'll clasp. uh, that's a uh, that sounds. This is this great Lenten hymn. Dun, 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 dun. I can't think of the title for some reason. It's just not coming to mind. I'm sure it's because of the Sudafed. Um, but I, it's <laughs> it seems isn't this that a dull knife? Yeah, that's right. Isn't this a uh, uh, Gerhard Lenten hymn, which would make it uh, maybe traditional? That is right. It is Paul Gerhardt, and it's O Sacred Head Now Wounded. I can't believe I can. That's right. O Sacred Head Now Wounded. This long great. Okay, well, uh, yeah, and it was written in uh, 1656, so well before 1750. Yeah, uh, Gerhard is kind of a tricky one because uh, he he is, out of all the Orthodox hymnists, the, the most romantic of them. So he'll talk about uh, you know, how, how our heart uh, reaches out and, and grasps and feels the pain of Jesus and all of this sort of stuff. So, so he's a bit tricky, but it, you can you can almost always recognize his stuff. So, all right, you ready for your yes. first hymn? I'm I'm ready. All right, all glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. Thou art the King of Israel, thou David's royal son, who in the Lord's name comest, the King and Blessed One. Um, I know this hymn. I'm trying to think whether it's contemporary or traditional, and I'm not sure. I'm just going to guess contemporary. Well, that's good. You were close. It was written by St. Theodolf of Orleans in the year 820. 
I like I like how you say that I'm close when there's a 50-50 chance of getting it right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And, oh, so close. And really, when I mean when I say you're close, I mean you're nowhere near it. Kind of like Bible B. <laughs> Mark, no Psalms. Close Psalms. Contemporary, no, no. Written in eight in eight twenty, so it was only about uh, nine hundred years short of being contemporary. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, great Palm Sunday hymn, though, All Glory, Laud, and Honor to the Redeemer King. Listen to this one. Uh, and this is just um, a marvelous kind of how we, what we say when the, when the Lord Jesus is coming. Uh, All glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King, uh, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring, to thee before thy passion they sang their hymns of praise, to thee, now high exalted, our melody we raise. In other words, we're, we're joining in here with, this, with the children who sang as Jesus came into Jerusalem. We're joining our praises with them. Sorry, no points Very for good. you. Okay. That's okay. It's tied up. 400 to 400. Oh. And your next hymn is this. Lamb of God, pure and holy, who on the cross did suffer, ever patient and lowly, thyself to scorn dost offer. All sins thou borest for us, else had despair reigned o'er us. Have mercy on us, O Jesus, O Jesus. Uh, I, I want you to read the second and third stanzas of that. <laughs> they're exactly the same. <laughs> you say that because you know they're exactly the same, except for the last line, which says, uh, stanza two, Have mercy on us, O Jesus, O Jesus. And the third stanza, Thy peace be with us, O Jesus, O Jesus. Yeah, this is a beautiful, another beautiful Lenten hymn. Uh, we did, in fact, when I was there at the seminary, we did all of our midweek Lenten sermons based on that hymn one year, all the different parts of that hymn. Uh, and it's amazing how, um, it's amazing how many hymns in the history of the church have come out of John's preaching. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This theme of the Jesus being the Lamb of God is just all over the liturgy and all over our hymns. Simply wonderful. Um, and here it is again. Uh, it could be ancient. It's uh, it has a kind of a wonderful simplicity. It has the Kyrie, the Lord have mercy, which is uh, which is kind of fallen out of favor in modern times. But it it could also. I mean, this is kind of a toss up. I. It could go either way, um, but I, I think this one is also a uh, traditional. Tis uh, fifteen thirty one. So well done. Is that wasn't by Lamb Luther? God, though, was it? No, um, Nicholas Dicas. I'm not sure how to say his name. Hmm. Not Luther. Not Luther. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Whoa. So you just pull ahead head at the end there uh, with another two hundred points. I was saving all of it to the end. To, uh, 400 to 600, you are the winner, and um, good job. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio this week. You can uh, respond to this show by going to our website at tabletalkradio.org. We also have some, some uh, articles on our website. Um, Pastor Wolfman, you were writing some new articles lately? Sure, I'll plop one up there. All right. And also our voicemail system, 866-851-5523. See you next time on Table Talk Radio. Take care. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, 
tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.